Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. I'm Jara, one of our crew, and I'm here with a special supplementary episode. I'm sorry if I sound stuffed up. This is because I have what uh, fans like to call the con crud, which is a post-convention cold. Uh, the plus side is I got the cold at Montreal Comic-Con, where there was some really cool Star Trek stuff happening. So I'm here today to uh, share some highlights of the convention with you. One of the big focuses was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and there were special appearances by some of our, our favorite Star Trek celebrities. So we're going to be returning to regular episodes. Actually, next week, we're going to have two weeks in a row for you. So stay tuned for those. And um, until then, enjoy uh, this supplementary episode with highlights from Montreal Comic Con. So in addition to Star Trek actors appearing on sort of the main convention agenda, there was actually a special 50th anniversary celebration night featuring William Shatner, Kate Mulgrew, and Brent Spiner that was designed as sort of a three generations of Star Trek feature panel with Q&A from the audience. Unfortunately, Shatner was, well, Shatner. So those of you who are familiar with him will know that he's He's kind of renowned for uh, taking up a lot of space on stage and making kind of offensive jokes. Uh, actually, the first convention I ever saw him at, uh, he uh, insulted a plus-size model who was there to thank Leonard Nimoy for his full body project. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't totally shocked to uh, see the way Shatner behaved on this panel, but it was kind of disappointing because the rest of the convention celebration of Star Trek was really very, like, positive and respectful and forward-looking. So I'm just going to start with a, a very brief excerpt from that panel. Uh, the tone, unfortunately, didn't really change throughout the rest of the evening. But then I'm going to move into some highlights from Nichelle Nichols and particularly Kate Mulgrew's Q&As uh, from the rest of the convention. So here's uh, William Shatner, Brent Spiner, and Kate Mulgrew on stage. My father died in the middle of shooting Star Trek. And Leonard, so we were rehearsing uh, a segment of The Horta. Now you wouldn't know that because you haven't even known that. But, <laughs> but on the other hand, I have never seen your series here. <laughs> You don't understand. Oh, I'm a oh fan. yes, I do. How are you applauding? Woman's place is on the bridge. Or in the kitchen, is the case may be. Woman's place is in the fridge. Wait a minute, what shows were you on? <laughs> what is your question? question. Uh, uh, did you watch every one of the next generation? Uh, it's every oh, you're such a liar. Remember? Okay, <laughs> you remember the one we did called The Horta? <laughs> yes, it was a it was a five-parter. <laughs> five well, but just to finish that story, uh, my father died, and uh, why am I laughing? I don't know. <laughs> And uh, and I had to leave and bring him to Montreal actually because they were in Florida and I brought him up to uh, for the funeral and all that kind of. When I got back, we continued uh, shooting and it was very very difficult for me. And Leonard was beside me all the time, like I've seen elephants in herds who, where they just by their presence they're supporting a member. Leonard was there all the time. It was the most astonishing thing, this friend of mine giving of himself. We, we, we went through a large part of our lives together through divorce, death, uh, recovering from alcoholism. He, he, he writes a great deal about uh, his recovery from alcoholism. I married a beautiful girl who I didn't realize at the time. I did when I married her, but during the time I was going with her, I, I didn't realize she was an alcoholic, but, but Leonard, when I asked her to marry me, he said, no, she's an alcoholic. And I, I said, yes, I know, but I didn't realize the implication of what that meant. And he helped me as much as he could. It was, I had a glorious friend in Leonard and Mark, and uh, the fact that he's gone is almost a, 
And so I, I still can't bring myself to believe it. Question specific, um, actually, for Mr. Spiner. Um, we understand as fans that uh, Mr. Roddenberry wanted to uh, discuss humanity, foils and foibles, positives and negatives through this particular franchise. How did that affect your portrayal of a character who wasn't human? Wow, what a great question. And I apologize that it's with two other actors who portrayed characters who were humans on stage. <laughs> but it, well, the woman's place is in the fridge. <laughs> it's Mr. Spiner's turn now. Uh, you know, uh, if I understand what you're saying, Please. And I don't. <laughs> Let me answer it this way. Huh? <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, you know what, it, it didn't really affect me so much because I didn't write the show. Uh, I, I basically tried to illuminate the, the writing, which is what actors do. Uh, you try to, uh, they give you, you know, the platform, and you try to uh, to make it as clear as possible. And uh, we had some terrific writers on the show. Absolutely. Obviously, they wrote data very well. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, because obviously. Uh, <laughs> All you have to do is show up. I, you know what? There's, this this woman is dangerous. Right? <laughs> she, she's she's punching. You know, I, I mean. Uh, I never had a, a note of, uh, did they ever tell you how to replay something, to redo a scene? Yes. You didn't do it right? Really? Yes. Yeah. Well, they would have to. Yeah. <laughs> because there was a woman in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I turned on a lot of stage here. I would never tell you how to say a line, Kate. No, I, I, you would know this. It's very nice of you, but you know, that first season as the first female. Yes. I have many eyes on me. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, you have many eyes on you anyway. Merci beaucoup, monsieur. nervous about that, and that's probably just once or twice. Right. And they, and they were probably right to do so. <laughs> so I was four years old when my mom plopped me in front of a TV show. His first episode was called All Good Things. Ever since I have drank in everything that is Star Trek. And I was wondering, uh, the obvious theme of diversity. Did you guys, when you were making these shows, realize the effect of diversity being so present in the show? People growing up with the show, how they would become more normal for them? You guys have an idea of that when you were making well, the show? Well, that's an interesting question. How aware are you guys when you're doing something, when you're acting or something, of the significance of it on a more general basis. Well, I came rather later, so uh, I was... Yeah, later. Uh, I came rather, rather later. I know, so late. Uh, so I was very aware. I know. Were you aware? I was so aware, I was so aware. <laughs> but truly, the original Star oh, Trek, your show really was the blueprint for diversity. Well, but, but my question really is, how aware are you as performers, reading your parts and finding out how you relate to the other characters, what the story is and all, how aware are you of any significance of the piece? Well, I'm doing a series called Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Yeah. Diversity, or are you aware that the uh, uh, black and orange? I mean, I aware I am aware that it is changing the game and the, and, and, the, and the very face of diversity. Orange is the new really? Genji Cohen is doing that. I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. And you're aware of that. Very. Aware. Are you aware of that when you're playing, when you're reading a word? Yes. I would oh say. my God, this is diverse. Yeah. Are you saying? <laughs> Clearly, you've never watched my series. <laughs> 
small black and white set that uh, the, No, I don't watch television. I'm sorry. I don't watch myself. I love you and I admire you as a performer. You're a great actress. Um, I just wanted to start with the fact that this series and this franchise has changed so many lives and so many um, has influenced so many people. I know like me when I started watching the show with my dad, I never imagined myself going to engineering school and this show and seeing the technology advancements really like influenced me for my career choice and I'm right now doing my bachelor's in mechanical engineering. And I know that in my field, we're like not really not a lot of women. We're like six for a class of like 60 guys. And my question was for Kate, um, how did you deal with like all the testosterone on stage and like all the preparation? No, as I do today, avec plaisir. Uh, but I said earlier when I was, uh, I had a Q&A earlier today, you know, uh, they took full advantage of the fact that I was the estrogen producer on the bridge. And they uh, drove me crazy, because that's what men do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And after midnight, all bets are off. Uh, remember those? How many, how many sunrises did you see on a Saturday? Far too many. Not you, you were, had civilized things. Far too many. Unbelievable, right? When you'd stagger out of the sound stage, and the sun was up. And you've been there since 5 a.m. Friday morning. Yeah. Honestly, that happened a lot. So you get crazy. And then you got five guys on the bridge with you. But the camera's on you. Because, the, you know, they, they know that you're the only ones who sort of stand still and do something normal. And all those guys just drive you crazy. So, that's what it was. So that's a gross exaggeration. <laughs> An estrogen producer. Uh, I know a guy who produced uh, reality shows. He produced estrogen. What is your question? I was wondering, since I watched all the shows of Voyager, how did it feel to actually do a captain on the ship? And how was it to actually end the show with Ed Games? It was absolutely terrific to be the first and only female captain. And I carry it with me, and I will, I'm sure, until I die. It was a, a life-changing thing for me. And when I finished it, I had terrible mixed feelings. I was tired. I had two young sons who had to watch me for seven years go off to work. So I was very anxious to get back to them. But I wept. I wept. Because you're in the trenches for seven years. Mr. Shatner doesn't know about this, but for seven years. <laughs> Did you not feel the same way? You've invested so much in uh, uh, the people. was very sad, sorry to say goodbye. It was a terrific... And so you wept. I wept. Wow. That's so female. <laughs> no, I can't imagine right. captain of a starship weeping. Captain. Well, Kate Mulgrew was weeping for the captain of the starship. Did you never weep, Mr. Shatner? I did on occasion. <laughs> and David never wept. But did you weep when the series was over? I wept when your series was over. You did? So you felt something about my series? Uh, very much so. I still feel it. Is. No, you know, I, uh, I, I was sad when we finished, but I was also really tired. Yeah. And uh, I, I had, uh, we, we did, we averaged 16-hour days on the show. And um, we did, in those days, I don't know if anybody does this anymore, but we did 26 a season. How many? We did 26, and we did 16 to 18 hours a day. Yeah, no, you're 18, 15. I'm talking 24 hours a day. 
32 orders for 32 hours. Yeah. I'm talking lots of 10 pages of dialogue. Yeah. I'm talking lots of testosterone on the bridge. <laughs> no estrogen, no estrogen around. No, you couldn't find estrogen on our bridge anywhere. What? <laughs> All right, so that was William Shatner, Brent Spiner, and Kate Mulgrew on stage at Montreal Comic Con. Um, of course, you know, Brent and uh, Kate were getting some responses in there to William Shatner. Um, I just just couldn't help but feel it was a little unfortunate that uh, it had to kind of uh, take that uh, tone, especially so early during like a Leonard Nimoy tribute to just right away start going into kind of these weird sexist jokes. And so this whole like women's place is on is in the fridge thing. The first time I heard it, I'm like, I have no idea. Like, how could Shatner possibly know? We talk about on Women at Warp, the women in refrigerators trope, which is when a female character is killed off in order to create motivation for a male character, but for really no greater reason. And, um, you know, I was like, he can't possibly mean that. Like, there's no way he could even know about that. And then he repeated it twice more. And I thought, well, he must know about it because it was totally lacking in context. The The second couple times he said the woman's place is in the fridge, it it didn't seem like he was making a joke like just trying to say the woman's place is in the kitchen. Um, another one of my followers on Tumblr suggested maybe he was making a weight comment, um, which I don't know that that's that much better, but I don't really know that there's a good way to read it. So yeah, at any rate, it definitely left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But luckily, we had some amazing appearances from Nichelle Nichols and Kate Mulger. So I'm going to start with Nichelle, um, some highlights from her Q&A session. Um, She's obviously having suffered a stroke earlier this year. Um, her health isn't the greatest, but she was in amazing spirits, super energetic, really funny, just cracking jokes, singing. Uh, so we'll get to hear some of that now. And I also heard a really interesting story. I was wondering that where did the name uh, Uhura come from? I heard there's a story behind Lieutenant Uhura's name. Uh, Uhura is from the Swahili Uhuru, and that means freedom Ooh. in Swahili. Ooh. And so when they were looking for a name for me, uh, they came up, came up with all kinds of names, and some were nice, and some were uh, female, you know. Uh, and so, I was talking to them and I said, well, what about Uhura? And they said, that sounds good. What does it mean? And I said, well, it's Swahili and it means, but it's Uhuru, Uhuru, and it means freedom. And he looked at me and he said, that's your name. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said, well, we got to soften the end of it. So, uh, uh, and we made it Uhura, and uh, so I've been Uhura for all these years, <laughs> and proud of it. Well, I don't want to spoil myself too much and get all the questions. Is it? Should we open some questions up on the floor? I, I would love it. Wonderful. So I think we have mics set up at the spotlight. Right. How about we start on uh, the the left hand, or he's pointed, we got the left hand side, oh they're pointing there? Okay, so we'll start uh, just over there. Oh, here. One. The young woman in yellow. Yes. <laughs> Hi, I just want to start off and I'm just really excited to see Michelle here today. Um, but my question is, I know that Star Trek from the beginning has really been about having such a diverse group of characters. <laughs> And in the last week, in Abraham's verse, it was revealed that Hikaru Sulu's sexuality would be to be gay. So I was really curious about your opinion on that and on maybe LGBT in Star Trek in general since the new series is coming out. 
So what was what was it like? Uh, it was a pretty groundbreaking series because Sulu was was gay, right? And how how did is that a fair recapitulation well, of your question? No, in in the What's new that? Abraham's verse of Star Trek, they've decided to make his character oh, yes. gay. I know he was happy. <laughs> Perfect. So, so, so you were happy with the new what J.J. Abrams did with the new Star Trek? I had a wonderful cast. Yeah. Uh, co-stars co uh, in Star Trek. We all loved the show. We all loved what uh, they brought to television for a change, and uh, we did our best to do our best. And and. Uh, I think you're the payoff. <laughs> I'm seeing all of this trekkers, I hope. And, and I thank you. Yes. Because uh, so many people really felt not, not a part of a lot of life. And it seemed that when Star Trek came along, uh, here we all were from all over the world, and we were theirs. So I'm still yours. Thank you very much. The next question I'd like to gentleman I was so excited to be a part of it, you know. Oh, wonderful. So I think we got another question from the gentleman in the, uh, in the black. Hi. Hi. I, I just want to know um, how uh, how you won the um, the part, how you won the part, and was there a lot of competition to be Uhura? Just lucky, I guess. <laughs> uh, I recall Gene Runbury talking about it, uh, going to do this kind of show, and. Um, I was very excited about it, I had to think. And then he said, uh, of course there's a role there for you, you know. And I went, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> it better be. <laughs> but we were like that. We were very close friends. Thank you. Um, my question is, what inspired you to become an actor or a singer? I was born one. <laughs> uh, uh, really, um, from the time I can remember, uh, I had a wonderful family. Uh, um, my father, if I told him that I had um, something I wanted to show him, it would be a skit that I made up, you know, and I, and, and he wouldn't stop right then. He'd say, well, uh, let's make a time for that. And then I had my time <laughs> and I'd come, come out and I'd do my bit, you know, I would be my character. And and uh, he would uh, he would critique it, and and um, so I better be good. <laughs> and and it was uh, it was a wonderful life for a young person going into this business uh, to be appreciated and to be taken seriously. And and um, that's that. That was my family, and that was the way I became Uhura, <laughs> for real, and Nichelle Nichols, for certain. Thank you so much. I don't know if it's true, but with the new Star Trek movies, I heard that Zoe Saldana, the actress who played Lieutenant Uhura, she actually, she reached out to you, is that true? She called me on the phone, <laughs> and uh, I don't even know how she got my number. <laughs> she called my home phone, 
And she said, uh, you don't know me, but I'm, 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 uh, so, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> she got Zoe Saldado, and I said, yes, you're going to do Star Trek, and she, silence. <laughs> she said, how'd you know that? <laughs> and I said, well, Someone called me and said, blah, 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 and that you were up for it and that, that they were considering doing uh, you in the role. And um, I had seen you in a, a TV show, and a guest artist, and, and, and I said, oh, I think I know who that is. And she's on the phone with me going, you did? <laughs> you did? And I said, and I think she'll be wonderful. And I know you'll be wonderful. And she was. She was wonderful. Uh, that was me singing. Thank Wonderful. you. Uh, hi, it's an honor to meet you. Thank you, the honor is mine. <laughs> um, my question is, you mentioned how you were involved in building the role and putting your two cents in. I was wondering what, in your opinion, are the most important characteristics of Uhura? Well, you have to develop Uhura first. <laughs> and then you know what the important characteristics are of her. Um, she was down to earth. She was very serious about who she was, that starship that she was on where no man or woman has gone before. She knew where she was going. Next question. Just over here from the gentleman. Hello, Ms. Nichols. So nice to see you and hear you today. I've been a big fan of Star Trek my whole life, and um, I understand the very first interracial kiss happened between you and William Shatner on television. And the first one... interracial kiss happened between my great grandmother and grandfather. Well, that I'm aware of. But on television. There was a seminal moment in television history, and I was wondering what sort of reaction the TV show and you got from the public when that happened. Oh, yes, between me and William Shatner. <laughs> Captain Kirk, Wesley. Oh, my. We're the I kind of liked it. <laughs> On, do, on doing a repeat, doing it about six times because he said we have to get this right. He's so smart. And I wanted to finish off with audio from Kate Mulgrew's Q&A at Montreal Comic Con. This was definitely the highlight of the convention for me. Um, she answered a ton of great questions and the audience was laughing, crying, hanging on her every word. Uh, she talks about Janeway, Orange is the New Black, about her new book, um, hilarious stories involving Richard Burton and Pierre Trudeau. Um, so I hope you enjoy that. If you want to hear the full audio of the Q&A session, we've actually made that available to our patrons. So if you head over to patreon.com slash women at warp, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash women at warp, you can get access to the rest of the panel that I had to edit down for time. Um, so uh, without further ado, please enjoy this seg uh, selection of Kate Mulgrew at Montreal Comic Con. Yeah. 
delighted to be here. I love Montreal. And if I may say, before we start taking questions, my God, now I'm actually very moved. I'm so uh, proud of Canada in its effort with uh, the immigrants, the Syrians. You are showing a splendid <laughs> example for the rest of the world. And we are very moved and impressed by it. So congratulations to Canada. Now, I think we have limited time, do we? Yes, we do. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll give you a mark when we're, we're done with the last question. Great, great. But I'd love to start taking questions. If there are any questions. <laughs> Where are you who are going to be asking? Oh, down there. Yes, yes, go ahead, ask me. Good morning. Good morning. So my sister has found you an excellent role model, first a doctor, then a captain on Voyager for her maiden ship. It actually inspired her to join the Navy and join the USS Gravely on her maiden voyage, and she's always looked up to you as a role model. So, that being said, with the recent, uh, the recent strong female characters like uh, Black Widow and Avengers or Rey from Star Wars sort of getting uh, pushed aside, so not getting as much recognition, uh, who, would, who is your inspiration and where should her daughter look for an inspiration? Who is my inspiration? Culturally, or do you mean beyond that? Both. Beyond that. Both. All of it. Uh, <laughs> I always have my eyes on the great writers of our time. I also have my eye right now on Secretary Clinton. Um, yes. This is, in fact, an extraordinary time to be alive. You do realize that, right? We had an African-American president. And now we're going to have a war. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at her uh, in terms of examples of fortitude, forgiveness, patience, and savoir faire. Something you French Canadians know better than anybody else, right? Uh, for myself, I would say you have to go deep within yourself. You have to find out who you are. Start life as a self-examined person. Don't waste any time. Time is not to be squandered, it's of the essence. I threw myself onto my path when I was 16 and I have not deviated from that path. Now it's opening into literature in a different way, I'm starting to write. But I've acted passionately for over 42 years. So my adjuration or admonition to all young people is, find what it is that you love and hurl yourself into it. That's what I say. Thank you. And thank you, our sister, for me. Merci à Oui, monsieur. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Montreal. Thank you. I'm a huge, huge fan of Star Trek Voyager. It's actually my favorite Star Trek series. I'm wondering, what is your favorite episode in that series? What are you going to say when Bill Shatner's sitting here? <laughs> I would say exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, go up. So, uh, what is your favorite episode and why in that series? You know, I love this question, because you assume that I can remember in that, <laughs> in that vortex of seven years, right? That black hole. Uh, that was a, a concentrated effort. Do you, you, I want you to appreciate that. I'm sure you do as an audience. We shot seven, uh, 26 episodes a season, and often it was 16 hours a day, sometimes 18 hours a day. Sometimes I saw the sun come up. Uh, to cite an episode or two would be foolish, but I'm going to do it anyway. I loved Endgame. I had my hand in Endgame. A lot of that was uh, my idea. I know that that was controversial, but I, I loved it. Um, what was it? Counterpoint? Only because I got to fall in love. Or did I fall in love? Did I? Don't know. But it looked like Janeway was a woman in that one. Um, I loved all the two-parters. Believe it or not, I loved all the physical stuff. Whenever I could carry a gun, I was in heaven. Um, so I don't really, you know, there are, there are just too many. I liked always the ones on location as, as opposed to the uh, bottle shows. The bottle shows were the ones we shot uh, entirely on the ship. Those were money savers. 
So when we got to go away, I loved that. And I loved alien species. Whenever I could annihilate an alien species, I didn't like That was great fun. Species 8476 in particular. And the Vidians, right? Weren't they organ eaters? Terrible, terrible. So that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, madam. Wow, now you make me feel old. <laughs> oh, I just want to say, in my real life, I'm a chief of staff for a liberal member of parliament, so I'll make sure to pass on your remarks to Team Trudeau. Thank you. Uh, I also want to say you are totally blowing me away with Orange is the New Black. I can't get my mind around And I love that little inside comment in the first season. Um, but my question was sort of taken by the first guy, so I'll reword it. Uh, considering that you are a role model for women and leaders, do you think that your role portrayed you as a positive role model or a role model that strong women are always alone? As Janeway, as yes. opposed to Red. Yeah. Well, Red is alone or with other women. But I think it's fairly clear that to play uh, Catherine Janeway at a, at, in the time that I played her was not only uh, history changing, but it was a major blow to the glass ceiling of the boys club in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, it was a big crack in that ceiling. And to this day, I thank Paramount. They were visionaries. They took a lot of guts. You know, there were billions of dollars on the line. This was the most successful franchise Paramount had. To put a woman in the seat, and as you know, it wasn't me. It was Jean-Pierre Bougeau, one of your own, <laughs> who deserted the chair. But I did not desert it. And I uh, committed myself to that effort with everything that I had. I wanted to endow her with something that, you, that theretofore had not been seen. I love Shatner, love Picard, love all those guys. But I wanted to bring to her a humanity and a complexity that we hadn't seen before in a captain. A capacity for love while in command, all of that. Um, and I think I did achieve that balance. It's lonely at the top. It has to be. You stand alone. You must sacrifice yourself for the compliment of 165 for whom you are responsible. It was a great honor. And I feel that way to this day. And there's an echo in this chair. <laughs> Is there not? Yes. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. May I ask, are you very impressed? Are you, do you like uh, Mr. Trudeau? I once sat next to Prime Minister Trudeau, the other one, <laughs> at a dinner party and found him unbelievably charming. And just before dessert arrived, he said, excuse him, why I have to go, I have to go, forgive me. I said, how can you leave? Dessert is here. We haven't finished our conversations. But I have a little baby at home. He was 82 at the time. I said, you have a little baby? He said, well, my wife. And I thought, how very French. All right. <laughs> yes, yes. Hello, Kate. How are you? Uh, before I ask my question, I should like to say that as a native speaker of Russian, your accent is actually one of the most enjoyable I've ever had a chance to witness on film. Uh, my question is, you spent several months in Ireland this year writing your second book. So I was curious to find out uh, how far along you are. You know, how did you know that? <laughs> you actually mentioned to me uh, during the Emerging Artists uh, luncheon in New York last Yes, you're my friend. How are you? Hi. Very nice to see you. Yes. Um, and it also came up in several interviews, actually, recently. Uh-huh. Um, so, as I said, how, how far along you are? How, what's the progress of the book? In my second book? Yes. And uh, how different the experience is compared to when you were writing your memoir? It's very different. Uh, the memoir was, uh, you know, they, they, they warn you about a, a memoir, but they don't warn you about a memoir written later in life. Uh, it's supposed to be a cathartic experience, but in fact I found it a, a difficult, uh, really, uh, it unsettled so much of uh, what had lain, I suppose, dormant uh, in my psyche and in my 
emotional history. And it resonated for a long, long time, the memoir. Whereas this time I decided to change it up a little bit, and this is a novel. Of course, any writer will tell you that everything is about uh, experience. It is about my experience, but I'm fictionalizing it, I think, to protect my, my deepest self. Um, and therefore, it's more liberating. I feel easier. There was a real deadline and a lock on the memoir that I don't have with this one. I have time and the luxury of it. And of course, I have Ireland. Are you Irish? It's the best. It's the most beautiful place on earth. But I felt this since I was 17 years old and saw it for the first time. Absolutely stunned, with tears streaming down my cheeks. Dingle Bay, the peninsula. Look out, it, something mystical about the light, about the people, about the way of it. It's a pagan, mysterious, deeply fascinating culture. And I love it there. So anyway, sorry to have gone on, but very good to see you. And thank you. Thank you. Oh, look who's here. You're going to scare me now. <laughs> this is really scary. Hi. Hi. Uh, <laughs> I think she's got a chicken under that coat, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have kind of a two-part question. Yes. I was wondering what you had to do to kind of create the accent that Red has. And I was also wondering if you could regale us with a tale, a funny tale from the set. Of Orange is the New Black? Yes. Very closed set, you know. We're all sworn to terrible secrecy. Our heads oh, no. Will roll. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The accent is the, the least of it. What's your name? I'm Shannon. Shannon, the accent is always the least of it. If you're worried about the accent, if you're struggling with the accent, then you don't have the character. She must come and sit in your soul first. And then, just sort of remarkably, you start to talk like that. <laughs> right? Because that's it. Uh, I've had that when I've had to play an English woman. I've had it when I've had to play an Italian. It just comes. Um, on the set, you know, it's an extraordinary thing. They've culled from the streets of New York about a hundred actresses, who otherwise would probably not be visible. And this extraordinary Petri dish, is so full of intensity and energy that when I walk onto that soundstage, I have to take a deep breath. Because the excitement level is so high. Not only do we know that we're breaking the rules and, and our product is, is not only innovative, but really uh, bold and terribly smart, but there's a fierce kind of energy because we don't know if we're going to work again on this level, but we know that we're on this horse out of the skate in a race that's never been uh, challenged before. In the history of television, this is streaming, and we're the number one series in the world. So we're aware of that, and the stakes are very high. But to look at this potpourri, this feast of women, is an ongoing sort of amazement to me. This is a new day. It used to be you'd walk on a set and you'd be the only woman in a sea of suits very dull. <laughs> but these young, excited, alive, hungry faces, it's terrific. And such a sea of talent. So it's great. It's great. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, costume. And as for playing strong women, Red is very complex. She, she does not have the linear moral strength that Janeway had. Janeway was a great leader. Janeway was a scientist. Janeway was an arrow. Red has to be everybody all the time. The fact that I've been in the prison for 15 years uh, allows me a certain uh, independence and respect. But I think that Red's strength comes from the fact that something has happened. We don't know yet why she's there for 15 years. But something happened. I believe of a self-sacrificial nature. But we shall see, I think we shall see. Now having said that, of course, we'll never see because that's Genji going. <laughs> Thank you for those questions. Thank you so much. Hi. 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 Uh, just
want to say you speak so eloquently and beautifully. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming to see us in Montreal. Um, my husband's a huge fan of the show, but a little too shy to ask a question. His name is Jason. Where is he? <laughs> Jason, come on, ask me the question. I think I you threw it the to question. the wife. See what I'm talking about? <laughs> all right, all right. What's um, the question? I just want to know. Could you give us one of your fondest memories on screen or off in general? Anything Over that you'd like to Over a 42-year career? <laughs> I will. I will. Thank you. Because it springs immediately to mind. Of course, it's one of my earliest memories. But this is what they say. Those earliest memories are crystalline, aren't they? I did a movie in Ireland when I was 20 years old called Love Spell, based on the myth of Tristan and Isolde. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. Uh, a, a, a tragic love story, epic love story between a young man and a young woman. Uh, uh, the young woman is uh, uh, given in marriage to the K King Mark of Cornwall, and on the way over in the ship to get married, she falls in love with his nephew Tristan, and they drink a magic potion, and they die through life, passed by, in, through death, into the hands of God. It was a beautiful movie. It was Richard Burton's last feature film, and he played King Mark. How many hands, how many of you know King, uh, uh, Richard Burton? All right, a great actor, right? By all accounts. And a wonderful man, and I played the young princess Isolde. Well, I turned 21 during the filming of that movie, and they had a surprise birthday party for me in a castle in Ireland. And Richard Burton walked in. I was sitting in a chair, and he came over and he draped a fur coat over my shoulders. He placed diamond earrings in my hat. Can you imagine? And then he pulled me onto his knee, and he sang, How to Handle a Woman, a cappella. <laughs> my mother said, if you don't, if you don't want him, I'll take him. <laughs> it was the most sublime moment, because I recognized it. Have you had that yet? Have you had that in your life where you know this moment is irreplaceable? It's one of those things that's going to sing to your soul till you die. And that was it. My wedding day. Oh. Lucky you, to you. Thank you, you so have much. a good wife. Wait, where's your hand again? Very good wife. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, you're a gift. Hi, Ms. Mulgrew, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I'm a huge Voyager fan. It's actually the first Star Trek I was allowed to stay up and watch. <laughs> so having a you female... You were two. No, I wasn't, I swear. <laughs> Um, having a female captain as a role model, like everyone has said previously, is just a huge boon for women my age or from my generation. But I would like to know who was the trickster on set? Who, singular? Are you kidding? <laughs> Anybody, if there was somebody who... Like, I was the only fights. woman on that bridge with all those hulking testosterone. You have a lot of women on Oh, I'm not on the bridge. Not at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Last shots. And who do you think got the last close-ups after 18, 19 hours? Who do you think they turned the camera on? Old Kate. <laughs> They're so poor. They took care of all the men. And sure enough, the minute that camera was on my face and it was action, I'd get a spitball. <laughs> but just over the head so you wouldn't see it. But I'm hurling things, you know, to the green screen. I change those coordinates. <laughs> they often came in naked. <laughs> May I ask who? Oh, oh yes. Uh, Tuvok really didn't like clothes at all. <laughs> Lieutenant Tuvok, I'd say. Aren't you feeling a little chilly? Not at all, Captain. They love to be naked, they love to dance, they love to sing, they love to drink, they love spitballs, they loved everything that was absolutely appalling. <laughs> I survived. You know, 
You took the award an actress who survives that with an Emmy. You should canonize her. <laughs> Thank you, love. Thank you. Thank you. I love those guys. That's hard. I always laugh and joke about them, but I miss them. You know, even though you love them and you're in the trenches with them for seven years, seven years is a long time. My, my boys grew up in that period. Uh, you only somehow manage to retain one or two on a deep level. So I have Bob Picardo and Robbie McNeil in my life. They've, st they've stuck. And I see the others often, but um, I miss them. I miss them always. Yes, there's a man. There's a man at the mic. Hi. Um, so I have two small part questions. Two so, small questions. Yes. Uh, so my first one, in like season six or seven near the end of the show, did you ever, once when a character died, did you ever say, shit, do I really have any crew members left? Because kind of, you killed a lot of people off, and unlike other Star Trek shows, you can't actually get new people, like, shipped in. So That's like... called boredom in space. <laughs> Who did I kill? What are you talking about? Who did I kill? So did you ever wonder, like, one day, just be like, do I have any crew members left? No, I never wanted no, that. No. Okay. no, they were always there. My core group was there until the end, except for Kez, and I had nothing to do with that decision. <laughs> who else was dead at the end? Sweetheart, who was dead? Who was he talking about? Uh, all those nameless crew members. Oh, nameless. Don't have nameless. <laughs> <laughs> now, talk about my nine, my eights. Uh, yes, no, it's always a terrible, terrible tragedy. <laughs> You know, like, blooper takes, you know, when, like, someone says something yeah. you're not supposed to, what is your favorite one that happened? Like, someone just went completely off script or something. Are you happens. kidding? <laughs> My favorite one? Yes, out of all of them. You know who I sat next to for seven years, don't you? <laughs> who did I sit next to? Was that Robert Beltran? <laughs> who, invariably, on this Friday night of which I speak, Jayway would have about 10 minute monologue. It's agony. It's all technobabble. It's Japanese. <laughs> I'm talking the coordinates and the vortex and the nebula and the Bobbitt's Avenue, and I'm walking around the bridge so you get a glimpse of all the people. And I stop next to my second in command and I say, What do you think, Commander? Fast asleep. <laughs> Never mind, go back to sleep for a <laughs> That kind of stuff. All the time. You know, bloopers in science fiction are almost like, that's part of the deal, isn't it? It's so insane what you're doing. When I had to wrestle with species 8472, I had to wrestle that creature to death. It was uh, a pole with a, a green uh, tennis ball. <laughs> for two days, I had to fight it. <laughs> I said, Martini, very, very large. <laughs> that kind of stuff. But the men were very, very funny. I have to say, they absolutely delighted me. Thank you. Thank you. I like your colors. Thank you. Good for you. Um, so, uh, I have a Voyager question. Uh -huh. um, so, I remember between uh, third and fourth season, we discovered that they were taking Kess off the show and bringing on this uh, board. And I remember when I first saw images of the board, I thought, oh God, no. <laughs> They're getting rid of Kess to bring on, pardon my French, tits and ass. <laughs> and I thought... That's not French. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, oh, this is, this is going to be awful. And I really was not a big Seven of Nine fan for the whole fourth season, but I, in the end, I ended up really liking the character. I think she was well-written. Um, but as an actress, what was it like to uh, have to say goodbye to Jennifer Lean and, and uh, get used to a new person coming onto the cast? Well, you know, there's been a lot of press about this. Um, I was very sad to see Jen go. I was quite fond of her. 
And I was initially uh, unsettled by Jerry Ryan because she was so clearly beautiful, so clearly sexual, uh, so clearly all of the things that I thought we were trying to change. Um, but you see, the woman herself was quite good. She was a lovely woman, and I think she did a very damn good job at Seven of Nine. And I liked that dynamic as we developed it between Janeway and Seven of Nine. But initially, I have to be honest, I had hoped that I could change that up a little bit and we wouldn't have to introduce the element of overt sexuality in order to get some numbers. But we did, and the numbers were enhanced because of her. So what can I say? You know, men love pretty women. Yes, because the whole point of Captain Janeway was to not be sexualized, but a strong woman. Well, just I had a face. choice. They and then they bring seven, and then it's like they took yeah. two steps backwards. <laughs> Well, I guess they, you know, it's all about money in the end. You know that. It's a numbers game. They have to make money. They're trying to reach every conceivable demographic. And if their uh, greatest demographic are men between the ages of 25 and 40, there's got to be some uh, element of, uh, of sexuality. And I went to them in the first season. I'm culpable here because I said, I'm not going to do this, guys. I'm not going to be Shatner going from planet to planet having a great time. Um, I'm still of childbearing years. I was 39 when I got the part. And I said, I don't want to play around with this. They know that I'm of childbearing years and I don't want them to, th to sexualize me, the men. I want them to understand me in command. Once I win them in this way, we can discuss the other element. But no, I won't do it. I won't have lovers. I won't engage in any of that. She doesn't, I cannot, being the first woman captive, risk that. So I didn't. And I think they felt that they had to bring something in. And as it turned out, it worked very well in the end, didn't it? It did, yeah. yeah. She was a very strong yes. character. Yeah, it was a, an intriguing idea. Half and half, right? Half human, half bored. Intriguing. Well, that's Brandon Bragg, another genius. It all worked out in the end. It was a good. It was a good lesson for me. A lesson in humility and a lesson in uh, going deeper. Because I had to, you know, I had to play Janeway, not Mulgrew. How would Janeway react to this? So I hope I did that. And I thank you very much for your question. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, first I'd like to say I'm really happy to see a female role model of a strong woman right here in front of me. I'm really, really happy. And in the same kind of thinking, I wanted to ask you a question about the diversity that we see in Orange is New Black. We see a trans woman, we see a lot of lesbians, we see a lot of different type of LGBT people. So I was wondering what was your point of view and if you were really supportive and an activist maybe of this movement. What's your name, love? My name is Noah and I'm a trans boy. Right, I was wondering if this is your community. Um, well, first of all, we are human beings, are we not? We are all entitled as heterosexual men and women have been from time immemorial to our own sexual identity. It must be respected. And uh, I think the fact that we are taking on orange this subject uh, to the very limit, you know what's happening, you're watching it. Sophia Bursette is not having a good time in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, as would happen, I think, to a transgender. Exactly. I was really happy that um, this side of the world, of the people, was shown because I met a lot of people that don't believe that homophobia and transphobia was still something that was happening in 2016. I think we're, it's the tip of the iceberg, Noah. Don't you agree? Yes. We're just touching this now. It is. And it's people like you who are standing up in front of a microphone and asking people like me to discuss this that's going to make the change. So you're brave. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Yes, madam. Hi. Um, I also have been watching you since Voyager first came on and want to thank you for all you do. Um, I, I'm super excited, like probably a lot of people here, that we're going to be getting more Star Trek. And you talked about how Jane Ray broke barriers for women, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about what you'd like to see in the new Star Trek series. I'd like to see um, a homosexual in command. <laughs> on some level. <laughs> more women on the bridge. Forcefully. Obviously. I think that it, it, at some point, hopefully with the uh, introduction of Mrs. Clinton as the next president of the United States, <laughs> we can start to put to bed this very odd notion that we are not equal, right? Equal screen time is now at hand, right? Equal sex time, equal gender time, equal color, race, creed time is at hand. This was Roddenberry's dream. Lo, those many years ago. Don't say I said that to Shatner. <laughs> He'll get mad at me. And it's only now being realized. So I want to see a, a level playing field. Everybody. And I want the real spirit of viewership to be, this is right. We're all in this together. That's what it's all about. That's what Star Trek is all about. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hey, and that was me right at the end asking Kate a question. So what do you know? Um, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, special report from Montreal Comic-Con. Women at Warp will be back with regular episodes with our crew next Sunday. If you'd like to get in touch with our show, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, comment on our website, womenatwarp.com, or tweet us at Women at Warp, post on our Women at Warp Facebook page, or you can leave us an iTunes review, which helps more people find our podcast. So, so lots of ways to get in touch. Thanks so much for listening.